Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. We'll continue our study in the book of Hebrews, this epistle, uh, meaning a letter. That is, we mentioned it's, it's so much more like a 13-chapter long sermon than it is any other of the letters to the church that we find in the New Testament. But this morning we come to the beginning of chapter 2 now, where God gives us the first of five warnings that we find in the book of Hebrews. And it's a warning for Christians not to neglect the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. So an important warning, especially in our modern church culture where a misapplication of the truth of our salvation being by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone, it can lead to what some have termed uh, easy believism, the incorrect idea that being saved is nothing more than maybe reciting some prayer to be born again and and to get your ticket into heaven. Uh, God gives us here a gracious warning in verses 1 through 9 not to neglect, not to neglect our salvation and any kind of apathy or laziness or distraction, but instead to be very intentional, focused, and perseverant in our faith as we await his return and our future eternity with him. Before we study it verse by verse, let's go to the Lord once more in prayer. Father, I pray that you would show us from these nine verses the truth that you want us um, to learn this morning. You've guided us here on this Sunday to this passage. And um, Father, there's great truths about the gospel here. Uh, a command for us to be intentional about our salvation, Uh, a call for us to give attention to it, Uh, Lord, that we might continue perseverant in the faith that your Holy Spirit has brought us to. And so as we study this and leave this morning to go into the worlds you've placed each one of us in, I pray that we would shine as lights for Christ, that there would be a noticeable difference in our lives that would give us opportunity to share the gospel, to point people to the Savior who has come and who is coming again. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verses 1 through 4, we have a command Uh, for intention, and the command is found in verse 1. As most of the five warnings in the book of Hebrews are, this one, it's relatively short and concise, uh, given to us in verse 1 and then supported in the subsequent verses. Now, to the original audience that this letter was written to, Christians who were being tempted uh, to neglect, even recant, their faith, because of quite intense persecution, 
as well as the lure of this world's promises, God warns them against this here in these verses by giving them a command to be intentional about their salvation. What does intentional Christianity look like? Well, we see it in verse 2. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Earnest, the Greek word is peritsos, and it means more abundant. So we need to give more abundant heed. The Greek word is prosecho, a turning to, a holding on to. There should be a more abundant turning to and holding on to, a more abundant focus, a fixation with greater intent and attention to what? To the things which we have heard. Things which we have heard. What does God mean by that phrase? Well, definitely the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the final message, the final messenger that we studied about in chapter 1. Uh, there's no doubt that that's what he is speaking of uh, because of the very first word here in verse 1. Therefore, what is the therefore? Therefore, to link the gospel, the final message, the, the superior savior, the final messenger that was described in verse 1 that we studied together in the past few weeks. Uh, we, we know that this is the case. And so here is the refutation of that false doctrine of easy believism, that concept that the gospel that saves us from our sins is nothing more than uh, a prayer recited or offered with no subsequent other aspects of the broad biblical concept of salvation. We've learned that, yes, our salvation is when we may have prayed that prayer and we were born again uh, by faith in God's grace to us in Jesus. But the biblical message of salvation, it not only includes our, our regeneration when we were born again, but also our, our justification and our adoption as well as our sanctification, our becoming more and more like Christ. And, and even, and all the way up to, our future glorification when God calls us home or when he returns for us. So salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a beautiful but also multifaceted, life-transforming reality. And we are commanded here to be intentional about giving more abundant focus to it than to anything else in our lives. What if we don't? Well, the end of the verse here in verse 1 is where the warning is lest at any time we should let them slip. And so here is one of a few passages, and we'll come to others as we study the book of Hebrews, one of a few passages in this book that those who incorrectly believe that you can lose your salvation, they go to passages like this for evidence of that wrong doctrine. Does it say anywhere here that you can lose your salvation? when it's talking about lest we let them slip. No, please notice it says let them slip, plural, not singular like salvation. So what is the them? Those things which we have heard, <laughs> the gospel truths that, that help transform our lives, that take us from regeneration and adoption and justification, those instantaneous aspects of salvation that happen when we first place our faith in Jesus Christ, at those, those truths that help us become more and more like Christ in our sanctification and that aspect of our salvation. That's what he's talking about here. Everything we can, giving everything we can 
intentionally focusing on the truths of the gospel so that those things never slip away from us. The word slip there, it's a nautical term, like when a boat slips away from its moorings. Some of you have boats. I have a canoe that I'm storing for Ricky Boyd, and he lets Kristen and I use it. Uh, That's the extent of our boat. Some of you have boats. Is it dangerous when a boat slips away from its moorings? It's dangerous for the boat and anybody on it. I love waterfalls. Some beautiful ones here in North Carolina. Um, Beautiful ones where Chris is from in Minnesota. Gigantic one called Baptism Falls. We go to it just roaring over. Have any of you been to Niagara Falls? Oh, there's a lot more than I thought. I have never. I've seen it in videos and documentaries. In 1918, there were two men who were on a barge dredging on the Niagara River. And um, they got done with the job for that day. A tugboat was sent out to them. Uh, Mooring lines were attached between the tug and the barge, and they began to go back to shore. Those lines broke. And the men on that barge started drifting down the Niagara River, Fortunately for them, uh, they landed on a rock shoal. But that rock shoal was 800 yards from the edge of Horseshoe Falls, the largest waterfall. Because of its close proximity and the danger involved, no, no rescue boats could be sent out to them. So the U.S. Coast Guard was called, and they shot grappling hooks and lines to these men. 17 hours later, they made it safely to shore. It's dangerous when we slip away. You know any Christians in that dire situation? You do. You're looking at one. There's been times in my life that I've experienced the pain and the danger of slipping away before. A busy morning without hearing from God or talking to God became a busy day without the same. A few of those may have turned into a busy week or or longer. I gave more abundant focus to things other than the gospel, and I found myself slipping away from the anchor that is Jesus Christ and the gospel message. Sometimes that looked looked like yielding to temptations I never, never thought were possible in, in my life. Other times it looked like the genuinely exhausting endeavor of attempting to live by God's word, not empowered by God's word. In either case, I found myself dangerously drifting. So God graciously gives us this warning and a command at the opening of chapter 2 here. He says, don't do that. Beware by being aware of where the abundance of your focus is. You ought to have a more abundant focus on those things which we have heard, intentionally keeping it on the anchor that is Jesus Christ and the gospel message of salvation. Then in verses 2 through 4, we have a contrast. Verse 2 talks about the word spoken by angels and it being steadfast. And so we have a bit of a continuation here from last week's message that our superior Savior is superior to angels. According to God's word in Psalm 68, 17 and Acts 7, 53, when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai for God's people, Israel, he used angels in the communication of it. And verse 2 says that that message was steadfast. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, 
meaning just what the rest of verse 2 says, that disobedience to God's word there, disobedience to the law, it brought just and serious and significant consequences. I'm glad that there's consequences for the law. I can't imagine living in a world where there's not consequences. We see aspects of that even today. It's terrible. Um, And then in verse 3, what's implied by verse 2, that if that was the case then, for God's word that was brought by angels to God's people then, well then how shall we escape, verse 3, if we neglect so great a salvation? And the answer to this question is we won't. Again, there's no mention here of us losing our salvation, but there is presented the truth that, yes, just and serious and significant consequences will be experienced by the believer, we, mentioned twice there, by the believer uh, who neglects, who neglects the amazing salvation we have in Jesus Christ. It's not about rejecting. This is a message for Christians who've received it, but it's about neglecting. How do we neglect it? Well, we neglect it by not being intentional about our faith, about those things which we have heard. We may think, well, I'm saved. I remember that day. I have an assurance of it. I know Christ is with me. I know I have a home in heaven. Praise God. Praise God for that truth. But don't neglect it. No, we need to apply the message of salvation to our life every day, neglecting it by giving a more abundant focus to anything other than the one who deserves it, our superior Savior, Jesus Christ. And the point God is making here is this. Since there was discipline back then for those who disobeyed the former message that came from God through angels, why would we think that there would not be discipline for those who disobey this final and superior message? And final and superior messenger. Verses 2 and 3 give us the contrast. The former messengers, angels, and the final messenger, Jesus Christ. But also there's a contrast in the final gospel messages, superior and sequential, continual revelation. Notice it says in verse 3 that it was first spoken by the Lord. This message that we've received did not come through angels. They may have accompanied him at his birth. We sing of that at this time of year. But it came directly from God through the Son of God himself. And and then it was substantiated by the apostles, confirmed to us by those that heard him. And finally, in verse 4, it describes it being, this gospel message being, being authenticated by God through the Holy Spirit. God bearing witness of this gospel message of salvation that we are not to neglect and that we are to give more abundant and intentional focus to. God bearing witness with signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. So is the gospel worthy of lifelong intentional attention in the disciples of Christ? Amen and amen. And that's what comes next. We get this call to attention about the gospel here in verses 5 through 8. Very interesting portrayal of the gospel. First, dominion is assigned. And once again, quoting an Old Testament passage from the book of Psalms, Psalms 8, like, like the author here of Hebrews referenced last week, so many references to the book of Psalms, uh, and referencing the beginning of man's relationship with God way back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, 
We are called to give attention to the gospel. Dr. Jerry Vine says we can find the gospel right here in these verses. Beginning in verse 5, going to verse 7, we see dignity, we see depravity, and we also learn of our destiny. Romans Road is a great way to share the gospel message. The three circles uh, method that we've used here in the last year or two, we've seen someone come to trust Christ, uh, a little one that was, that was explained to. Here's another easy one, if you can remember these three, dignity, depravity, and destiny. Verse 5 tells us that God never put this world or the world to come in subjection to or, or under the dominion of angels. Who did he give that role to? He gave that role to man first, way back at the beginning. Genesis 1, 28. Here's the first command that God ever gave to man, to Adam and Eve, uh, what we call the dominion mandate. Genesis 1, 28 says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so it's, it's here in Genesis 1.28 and in Psalm 8, 3 through 8, that is quoted here and now in verses 6 and 7. This is where we see the remarkable dignity that God gave to man. Apart from all of the rest of creation, who was created in the image of God? Man. Male and female, created in the image of God. There's dignity from that. But there's also dignity from what was assigned to man in creation. A dignity that comes from the assignment of dominion. God commanded us to steward and to manage what he had created. Reflecting his glory in our assigned dominion. And that's what causes David to wonder in Psalm 8, that's quoted here in verses 6 and 7. That's who he's talking about, but one in a certain place testified, David did in Psalm 8, saying this, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? You probably remember this psalm. When I look at the heavens, <laughs> when I look at everything you've created, and then I look at me, when I see how big the solar system is, and that's just one tiny part of the universe you created, and then I see me here in rural North Carolina, I can't help but go, what am I that you are mindful of me, that you even care about me, that you think about me, and especially that you would assign dominion uh, to us, that thou visitest him, that thou communicates to him. This time of year, we celebrate the literal visitation of God with man. And then it says in verse 7, you made him a little lower than the angels. In one sense, we are. Uh, we do not have the bodies and the freedom in the metaphysical world that angels have. None of you try to walk through the wall when we're done with the sermon, please. You will be stopped. We can't go from place to place like angels are able to yet. All right, we don't have that freedom. So in that sense, we're a little lower than the angels. When we mentioned this last week, God tells us in his word that angels are amazed by the relationship of God with those that he has saved. It says they look down, they peer into how God interacts. You would die for them. You would save them. You would bless them. So yes, we're a little lower than the angels, but what did God do? Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Genesis 1, Psalm 8, 6 through 8. He assigned us dominion. How did we do? Not so good. 
I do not know the exact time span between Genesis 1.28, when dominion was assigned, and Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and believe the counterfeit promises of Satan. But it's all of 33 verses. I don't think there was a, a great span of time. No, our, our dominion was abrogated. Adam and Eve chose sin over God. They did what all of us do when we choose sin over him. For that brief moment, yielding to temptation, we stop loving Jesus. I know that sounds harsh, but, but if we would think of it like that, if we would get God's perspective on what we do when we sin, I think we'd have a much easier time resisting the devil and causing him to flee. For that brief moment, we stop loving Jesus. Dominion assigned in the gospel message became dominion abrogated, lost. Verse 8, thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not yet all things put under him. Dignity was lost, and depravity became our experience in this world. Is depravity present in the world today? Yeah. And every one of us. We were made for so much more, and we settled for so much less. But aren't you glad that's not the end of the gospel? There's dignity, there's depravity, but that's, thank, praise God, that's not the end. There's also destiny. One more thing. Did you see those two words in the end of verse 8? Eight, um, but now we see not yet all things put under him. Do you know why those two words are there? They're, they're there because of Jesus Christ, church. Not yet. In his incarnation that we celebrate right now at this time of year, Jesus coming to earth to live among us and to die for us and to rise for us. And as we've seen so far, the focus of Hebrews chapter 1 is in his ascended place at God's throne, dominion was restored. Not completely to us, but completely to him. God tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 25, then comes the end when he, when Jesus delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all under his feet. As we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, um, it's not solely about the first advent. The initial verses pertain more to that, but that last verse, my heart was encouraged. My mind was going to Christ's return. Oh, come, desire of nations, come. <laughs> Fixing us your humble home. It talked about there, there being no more sin, there being no more rebellion, there being only peace. That is what is ahead. That is the destiny for our superior Savior and the des destiny for those who put their faith and trust in him, who've been saved. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, for it pleased the Father that in him, that in Jesus, all the fullness of God should dwell, and by him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, whether it be things in heaven or things on earth, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Came across this poem. I have no idea who wrote it. There was no note. Loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to our rescue came. That's the gospel. Dignity was what we were created in. 
and created for. We threw it away. Depravity was what we've come to know until Jesus came, until he died for us, until he rose for us in his ascended position as we await him, our destiny. And until then, we have a continuation uh, in tension. That's what the Christian life is. Yes, dominion was reclaimed by Christ. In verse 9, it says, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Philippians 2, what we read last week, talks about that. He humbled himself, emptied himself, became a human. For that short time span, made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. But now, what about Jesus? In in a phrase very similar uh, to the one in verse 7, Jesus now crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. At the end of verse 8, it reminds us that wild dominion, it was completely reclaimed in Jesus Christ. Right now, you and I, we don't see that in its fullest or final sense. It says, but now, at the end of verse 8, but now we see not yet all things under him. There's no question that right now all things are not under you and me. We don't have the dominion uh, that God intended for us to have, the stewarding, the ability to manage uh, like we did before sin entered this world, but it has, be re- has been reclaimed by Christ. We're going to see in a minute it also has been reassigned to us, but we don't see that. If you question that, I know some of you are hunters and fishermen. I can put out a bobber a long time and not catch a fish. I do not have dominion. Not like my Savior, who when the storm arose, all he had to say is, peace, be still. And he could heal people from disease. I love doctors. I'm thankful for the doctors who've helped me in my life. But they did not have the power my Savior had. They did not have dominion like he does. Church, make no mistake. He is reigning. But now we see not yet all things. That does not mean that he right now does not have complete control. That the dominion he reclaimed is, is partial or not complete. It just means right now we do not see it. Uh, he is reigning. Hebrews 1, 3 said that, that he's seated at the right hand of majesty on high. And because our superior Savior is sovereignly reigning, God's word assures us in Romans 8, 28, that yes, all things work together for our good and for his glory. Our, us, we, to those who are called, to those who loved him. Nothing's falling apart. It's falling into place for what the end of verse 5 told us about. This is key to this whole passage, to the context. The world to come whereof we speak. Pointing to his reign and our reign with him in that millennial kingdom. Now we see not yet all things under him, but then we will. Amen? All things under him. We will actually see it right now. We might not, but that doesn't mean he's not reigning. It just means we don't see it yet. What do we call faith? right? Things that are not yet seen. Then faith will become sight. Right now, the Christian experience is one of continuing intention, and that's what God is urging the original audience he wrote to here in Hebrews and every single one of us to do, because we're in the same tension they were. Persecution, (laughs) temptations coming at us, temptations to neglect our salvation, maybe even temptations to reject our faith. 
Now we're to continue in this tension. We follow Christ in an already not yet life until then. Until then. And God's message to us is continue. <laughs> continue. Dominion, however, is reassigned for Christians because we have a heart for missions at Dublin First Baptist Church. One of our favorite passages is the Great Commission one, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where we're to go into all the world and we're to make disciples of all nations. But we need to expand that, honestly, to verses 18 to 20, because it's in verse 18 that Jesus says this, all authority, all, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Do you see the link? Remember, what's the therefore, therefore? Go make disciples because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Dominion has been reassigned for Christians. We are to be salt and light until Christ returns. We're to exercise a gospel uh, dominion based on and because of his reclaimed dominion. The dominion that Christ won back in his death, in his resurrection, his ascension. In church, all of my strength here on this earth that enables me to give more abundant attention to the things that I've heard, to the gospel, and to never neglect so great a salvation. All of it is grounded on what was probably a common hymn in the early church that we find in 2 Timothy 2.11. This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, if we continue, we shall also reign with him. Continue in the dominion he won back. Listen to the word of God to us in Revelation 1, 5 through 6. I'm talking about now. It's before the prophetic parts get there. Revelation 1, 5 to 6 says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, He's a ruler over the kings of the earth, him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and he has made us what? Kings and priests to his God and Father, to him, not to us, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's who you are if you've trusted Christ as Savior. Kings, queens, priests to our God. Can I ask this morning where you are on that salvation timeline? As a brief one. None of us are in dignity. Every, every single person since Adam and Eve. Not a single one in dignity. We're in depravity or we're in destiny. Are you still in depravity? Or have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? And you have the assurance that you're a part of that destiny. Of the destiny that's ahead for those who do and who will. We even get a taste of that now. We get freedom from the penalty of sin then and there, eternal life in heaven. But even now, we get freedom from the power of sin over our life. If you've never done that, do that this morning. We'll have a time of invitation here in a moment, but don't wait for that. Right now in prayer, cry out to him. Ask him to save you from your sins. Say that you trust. Tell God you trust in what Jesus did and what he did alone for you to have eternal life, to remove your sins, to redeem you. Christian, you who have done that, have you been given earnest heed to the gospel? I mean, you've accepted it, but do you appropriate it every day, throughout the day? Don't be like those who neglect so great a salvation. They find themselves 
loosed and slipping from the mooring that is Christ, drifting powerlessly, drifting dangerously, making it into heaven, but not with any kind of abundant entry, all because we gave more abundant focus to something other than being a disciple of Jesus Christ here and now in this life. Please don't let a busy day become an extended period away, away from hearing him, away from talking to him, to the one you're in relationship with. He made you to be kings and priests for him, his power and authority, his reclaimed dominion. It's available to every single one of you, to me, to, to empower us to do every single thing he has assigned and to enjoy him while we await his return for us. Won't you ask him this morning? God, help me give more abundant focus to you than anything else that's here on this earth. Say, Father, keep me securely fastened to the anchor that is Jesus Christ and the gospel message. The anchor that he wants to be for you, that he is, that he will always be for you. As Tommy comes, however God's Holy Spirit has used God's word to call you to respond today. As we close with this time of invitation, I just ask that you would obey.